Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. It is the world's fastest half mile, as Dale Earnhardt Jr. said. It is Bristol, baby, and it's one of the wildest rides in NASCAR. Just three races remain in the regular season, and three playoff spots remain. Welcome into NASCAR America, everybody. Carol Amano joined from Bristol Motor Speedway by Parker Kligerman and also from NBC Charlotte by our crew chief slugger, Labby. Otto Bolden is going to join us a little later in the show as well. Parker, you drove in the truck race last night. Top 10, buddy. Congrats. What do you expect for the weekend based on what you experienced? A lot of variables and a lot of uncertainty for the race teams. We just experienced so much of it in the truck race where this track was changing constantly as that track bite PJ1 traction compound, whatever you want to call it, was changing and allowing us to move around the racetrack. And lastly, I agree with Kyle Larson there in our open. This place is bad to the bone. (laughs) All right, we'll take bad to the bone. Listen, Slugger, you've been bad to the bone at Bristol. You know what it's like to be on a winning team there. What do you remember about your win with Terry Labonte back in 95? Set you in the back? Yeah, that's me in the back row. We're standing on the hood of a wrecked race car. Dale Earnhardt Sr. wrecked us off of turn four coming to the checkered, and we actually won the race. But we didn't know, Carolyn, if we were supposed to go to victory lane or go fight them guys because we really didn't know if we won the race or not. So it was a lot of drama that night. But to bring a wrecked race car to victory lane at Bristol was very, very special. And that's just typical of Bristol. You never know what's going to happen. Bristol has a tendency to do that kind of thing. The cup cars don't hit the track until tomorrow for practice. But there's already been two Xfinity practices today. So we'll show you those uh, with a look first at beautiful Bristol, the world's fastest half mile. And Parker, this sticky stuff, traction compound, whatever you want to call it, it's going to be a big story. That's for sure. And for the Xfinity Series teams, this is when it's at most potent, right after they've reapplied it this morning after the truck race last night. And therefore, Dale Earnhardt Jr. going out there and experiencing it, it is throwing them a bit for a loop because a lot of the teams were struggling with what to do with those race cars. Not something we normally see, the 88 on the track. This is his first Xfinity start of the season, but not a smooth start to the weekend, as you see a little bit of damage there for the 88. But Slugger, we are used to seeing this right here when it comes to Xfinity. Kyle Busch on the track. Absolutely. Kyle just runs very, very well at Bristol. He knows what to do. And like Parker said, he's one of the best cars, and he's got a half a tenth on the field. Extremely fast at Bristol Motor Speedway. Parker, this is Justin Allgaier, as you know, in the seven, already locked in the playoffs. He was the fastest in first practice. Yeah, if there's a car that can compete with that 18 of Kyle Busch, it might be that seven of Justin Allgaier. He's won here before, and that car looked really strong in first practice. So as we head to the final session here, Brendan Poole in the 48 on the track. He was third fastest in the final practice. He's one of those driver slugger that's looking for a win to guarantee that playoff berth. 
Absolutely. It's great to see an Xfinity regular have a lot of speed at Bristol. It's a tough track, and, and he's definitely showed up for the challenge. But Kyle Busch looking for his ninth Xfinity Series win at Bristol. He did top the final practice. So with five races left in the regular season, William Byron, Justin Algar, and Ryan Reed are still the only drivers to lock into the Xfinity Series playoffs with a win. And among those looking to do the same Friday night at Bristol is Daniel Hemrick. You know, for our team in particular, first off, you never feel safe. Um, but on the other side, that we've done a, a solid job, I think, of giving ourselves a, a little bit of, of lead way of being able to be aggressive and maximize the day if we have the opportunity to um, win the race and, and be aggressive. But uh, we can't give up big chunks of points either. So we, we kind of just got to balance that. But we're on the, the better side than not, I think, of that situation. Last week was an example of we were – you know, in the top three there at the end, and I knew that we needed a good finish uh, to build that momentum to be able to carry us uh, going forward for the rest of the season. So, um, you know, now that we've had a good run like that, I think we can be more aggressive and be able to go and, you know, maybe try different strategy calls to be able to go pick up a win. These last few races for this, this stretch of the road courses in Bristol and everything I've been looking forward to for a while, but it has, hasn't really gone the way that I planned. So, I mean, we've, uh, we've had road speed at both the road courses and uh, just haven't really finished it out very well on my part and everything so I think uh, we're looking to go to Bristol and hopefully finish this 20 week stretch off you know starting it here and end it off strong I think we'll I think we'll have a good shot at that too. There's a lot on the line for a lot of Xfinity regulars but just back to the cup drivers who are participating this weekend the fact that this is the first Xfinity race of the year for Dale Earnhardt Jr. is significant what do you think his motivation is here to run this race? Well, I think some of it goes down to his love of this racetrack. You know, this place has treated him well before. It's a very fun racetrack. It's an iconic racetrack. It's one of the racetracks he mentions all the time when he thinks about the days of growing up being the son of Dale Earnhardt, going to racetracks and watching his dad race. And therefore, in his last opportunity here racing the Cup Series, why not make it a doubleheader and go out and run the Xfinity Series? And then add in that he's going to be learning a ton in that Xfinity Series car for the Cup car because this track is completely different than anything we've ever experienced at this racetrack with this PJ1 track bike compound on the racetrack and how much it's changing and the way they applied it. So any time on the racetrack that you get is going to be invaluable for making that cup, part, that cup car better. Slugger, to that end, from a crew chief's perspective, what are you looking to gain in every time that you're on the track, the practice sessions and also the race itself? Well, it's ever-changing, Carolyn, and we always seen that towards the end of the race at Bristol, the top groove typically is the way to go with all the PJ1 wearing off. So basically, you got to be disciplined to run your car in the bottom of the racetrack when practice starts, but towards the end of happy hour, you want to get your race car up in the top groove to see what the balance is of your race car. I expect Kyle Larson and Ricky Stenhouse to be the two guys that will go up top first. That's typically what they do there. And Sugger, just quickly to clarify, we've been saying PJ1, VHT, <laughs> traction compound, whatever you want to call it, the sticky stuff. I mean, just explain at the very basic level, this is being applied in order to gain what? Grip. Grip right. and better side-by-side -side racing. Usually the restarts, you know, the bottom, the top groove is preferred, but sometimes there's no grip on the bottom, so they've basically done this to keep the racing better, keep it equal. Unfortunately, it doesn't stay down forever. The PJ1 will wear off as the race goes on, and that's why the top groove will come in. We, we've seen it, uh, Parker, the, the groove has definitely widened out. They, each time we go back to Bristol, they put more and more PJ1 down, make it wider to make the groove wider to get more grip, but unfortunately, 
it won't stay down forever. And sometimes if you're a lap car, if everyone's running the bottom, it's easy to run a groove up out of the groove and stay out of everyone's way. But about halfway during the race, when the bottom groove goes away, you've got nowhere to go because the faster guys are starting to migrate up and, and there's no safe place for a lap car or, or a slow car to get out of the way. So Bristol is definitely a great race to go to at night. How did it affect you personally, Parker, last night? Well, it's what he mentioned there, Slugger. It's it's just so it's so such a big variable. There's so much uncertainty in it, and we just don't know. I spoke to Kyle Busch before the truck race, and I asked him, "What do you think it's going to do tonight?" And he said, "Yes," as in it's going to do anything. It, we know none of us know, and we discovered as we got in the race, and we had the rain, and they tried to dry the track. That what happened was we lost a bit of that traction compound, and so eventually it lost its grip. And as we got to the halfway towards the end of the race, the top line came in, and myself and Kyle Busch made up a ton of positions Kyle Busch eventually get into the lead using that top lane and so I think one thing that this has done although we've tried to make the bottom the dominant lane because we want to see all the cars in a row trying to knock each other out of that that lane to get position what we've done is we've actually made a racetrack that is has so many variables that's so uncertain that it's causing a bit of uh of the drivers and the teams to have to search, having to look and wonder and guess what's going to happen. And because of that, I think we may be in for a very interesting weekend because it's just so uncertain that teams are not going to always guess right. Since you mentioned speaking to Kyle Busch last night, we should also mention that he is going for the triple this weekend, of course, because he raced last night. He's going to race in the Xfinity Series and also with Cup. Let's take a look back, uh, Parker, at this race, the Camping World Truck Series, and let's get straight to the action with Kyle Busch. He won the first two stages, but he's here in the 46, by the way. He's speeding entering pit road, and he's sent to the back. So with 37 to go, he would just work his way back through the field. Yeah, use the high lane really effectively. He was the first one to go there. Once I saw him go there, I was like, oh, it's there. And he used that all the way to the lead, going around Matt Crafton and Johnny Sauter like they were sitting still. That 46 truck was on rails. So five laps to go right in front of him. Justin Haley in the 24 pushing Austin Wayne self into the wall. That will happen. Justin was just a little too low. He clipped that apron. The grip wasn't there in the grip strip, and he got in Austin. And then as we go to overtime, Parker, no surprise here. Bush with an absolutely brilliant restart. Yeah, incredible restart. He's the master of them. No surprise to see him do that. So nobody can give him a fight. We were hoping that you might be able to, but he got his 49th truck win, <laughs> his fifth career truck win at Bristol, leaves the car in gear post-burnout. Here's what he had to say after the race. It was uh, a lot of fun to, uh, to come through the field like that. It kind of gave me some ideas about the rest of the week. Probably showed a bunch of stuff, too, but... Um, that's what it's all about, man. This is the start of a triple, so hopefully we can get it. Kyle Busch did win all three races at Bristol back in August of 2010. It's the only time the triple's ever been pulled off in NASCAR history. Slugger, so before we get back to Parker on the race, just want to get your thoughts on that feat in and of itself. How difficult is that? It's very difficult. And Bristol is a track, it's very, very easy to make a mistake. Pit road, restart, speeding. There's so many things that can go wrong. And it's actually a spotter's responsibility to remind the driver to drink fluids and actually breathe because Bristol is so fast. With that PJ1 compound, the speeds are just tremendous. A track record last night. I'm sure we're going to see more of that this weekend. But to be perfect at Bristol, you, you got to make no mistakes. And, and he can do that. He's got the right team behind him in both the Xfinity and the Cup Series to pull off the sweep. 
Parker, you say it all the time. You say it on the Monday Morning Donuts podcast. You say it when anybody asks you. <laughs> Kyle Busch is so talented, and he continues to show us how and why he deserves that title. He does. And, I mean, look, he had pro basically a tenth on the truck series field. And the truck series field is not full of slouches, I remind you that. I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying myself is going to go up there and contend with him, but it's definitely some very competitive drivers in the field. And he just has a knack for being a lot faster. That KBM team is putting out great trucks. And this racetrack in particular, I think of as being a racetrack that he's great at because he's so comfortable with a car being slightly out of control. He's so comfortable being on the absolute edge of adhesion and this racetrack rewards that it rewards when you can have a very loose race car that's on the right rear and being able to do that lap after lap after lap and that is what makes him so good and he's done the sweep here and i would not be surprised after seeing his uh speed in the xfinity series car and knowing what he'll do in the cup car if he does that again Slugger and I get very excited when you race in the trucks, so we would be remiss if we didn't mention the day that you specifically had and show a little bit of you in the 75. How was your night overall? Oh, well, you know, the first half of the race, I probably did a little bit of a lackluster job for my team there. I, I was a little disappointed in myself, but once we got to that top lane, we became a rocket in the second half of that race. And uh, if I had done it a little earlier, maybe found that speed a little bit earlier, I think I could have maybe been up there challenging the top three, top five. But uh, it was a good run overall. Even if the, the yellow didn't come out there at the end, I think we could have got a top five. So the, the late race restart hurt us a little bit, but overall, a very solid day. And the first top 10 for my race team, which is locally out of here in Abington, Virginia, just 30 minutes from this racetrack since the 90s. So this is a big deal for them. This is their Super Bowl. They were so excited, and uh, I was glad to be a part of that. That's fantastic. Top 10 is great. We're really proud of you. We are just getting started on NASCAR America as well. Still to come, we've got more on a beloved Bristol tradition, the driver intro songs that set the tone for one of NASCAR's wildest nights. You know, Bristol has produced some incredible moments through the years, but which of them makes the cut for our top five, and we're also going to hear from Joey Logano and his wife, Brittany, as they share their story about their road to parenthood. And we'll be joined live by somebody who knows a thing or two about speed, four-time Olympic medalist sprinter Otto Bolden, now a member of our NASCAR and NBC team. NASCAR America is brought to you by new Mobile One Annual Protection, proven protection for one full year. Well, this weekend is one of the most action-packed of the year. NASCAR heads to Thunder Valley. Tomorrow night, the Xfinity Series at 7.30 Eastern. Saturday, it is the Bristol night race for the Monster Energy Cup Series. That's at 7 Eastern over on NBC. After a day of rain, we are ready to go racing. slides up the racetrack and gets into the wall. I don't know what's broke, but I think that's the end of the day. Kyle Busch has pancaked the right side of that number 18. Aaron Jones gets into the fence up in turn three. Jimmy Johnson has won for the second time at Bristol. That's what I've been looking for here for 16 years, and we finally figured it out. Jimmy Johnson with his second career win at Bristol in the spring race. That came nearly four months ago. And the last great Coliseum is home to the world's fastest half-mile track. We know that by now. But here's a look back at some of the incredible moments that we have seen there. Set to the words of Corvette Jackson's Tennessee. Tennessee comes calling. 
by the way, to Corvette Jackson for the song sets the tone perfectly and reminds us that songs are really a big part of every Bristol Cup race. Since 2009, the drivers have gotten to pick their song for when they're introduced to the crowd at Bristol, and it has helped create one of the most anticipated pre-race events of the season. Are you ready? Virginia Tech fan. There's a lot of booze here. A lot of cheers, too. Brad Keselowski, driver of the Penske Racing Dodge. Kyle Busch is an ass. And more fun expected this year as Dale Earnhardt Jr. apparently has a strong a song strategy in place uh, with Casey Kane. Here a tweet from Jr. After short discussion, Casey Kane and I have decided to choose each other's intro songs for the weekend. Oh boy. Slugger, oh boy is right. I cannot wait to see <laughs> what these two have planned. Can you? Uh, it's it's a great time. I can only imagine what these two guys are going to do, but it's really, really neat. It's really the two times a year where the crew chiefs and the pit crews actually come out of the truck and watch the driver's introductions. It's it's really, really cool, but Bristol, the whole pre-race show is very electri electrifying. They have the kids at MRO, they sing in the national anthem, uh, and the, you got the jets flying over, you got the American flag coming in uh, from a parachute. So it's just a, a great time, and everyone just gets excited and pumped up for Bristol. Uh, it's just a great race that it is and it's a night race very exciting times parker you've been really outspoken about the sport growing attracting a new younger audience making memories that sort of thing these kinds of stunts that have a tendency to go viral what impact can they have on just making sure that everybody has a great time and and that the sport is growing in a new way well, it's a great example of the stadium and at, stadium atmosphere of Bristol Motor Speedway. There's nowhere else we go that's surrounded by this feeling of grandstands, 160,000 people. But I, I have to pick a bone with Dale Jr. there and say that I think he might be lying because he said it was a short discussion of Casey Kane. I can remember when this came out back in 2009, and I remember a lot of drivers not taking this very lightly. They deliberated for a long time on what song to pick, and each year trying to figure out which song they're going to bring that year. I think they don't take this lightly you know they want to know that they come in there with a song that represents their personality what they're feeling that day how they're going to race that day we've seen so I, I don't know if it was a short discussion he might have been lying there what would be your <laughs> what would be your song quickly what would be your song 
Ooh, my song. Uh, you know, I can remember, this was a funny one. I can remember Brad Kozlowski back in uh, 2010 asking me what he felt about this song. And it was Drake headlines, because at the time he was hoping to make some headlines by going out there and winning. And then the next couple of years, he became very successful. But at the time, I reminded him, I said, you hadn't won yet, bud. I think you should wait till you win. <laughs> We have all the intro songs live, by the way, just so you guys know at home right here on NBCSN. The race is over on NBC, but our pre- and post-game coverage is right here, so make sure you check all that stuff out here before flipping over. Coming up, Otto Bolden used to racing very fast, but on two feet, of course. So how is the four-time Olympic medalist enjoying his newest stint in the NASCAR garage? He's going to join us next. NASCAR America is brought to you by STP, helping engines run better longer since 1954. Lane six is Otto Bolden of Trinidad. He is another hot spreader from UCLA, the NCAA champion. Go! It's a fair start. Otto Bolden got off to a good start down in lane one. Otto Bolden has the lead. It's Otto Bolden! Well, Otto Bolden has been a member of the NBC Sports track and field team since 2007. And prior to that, of course, he represented Trinidad and Tobago in four Olympics, taking home four medals in the 100 and 200 meter competitions. Bolden is also a member of the UCLA Athletics Hall of Fame. And he made his debut with us back in July at Daytona as he has jumped right into everything NASCAR. Here is a small sample of his experience at Daytona riding with Austin Dillon. Otto, you ready to go for a ride? Absolutely. Let's get it. All right. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, I'm driving a Daytona. There you go, man. Most famous track in the world right here. Uh, dude, I got to ask you. Yeah. The first time I heard your name was with that gnarly crash that you had here. Oh, yeah. It happened right there. Yeah, right. Took down that whole fence section. That was one of those where I just went, wow. What these guys do for a living is not easy. No joke. Never know what can happen. You want to creep up the banking? Sure. I left it just a little. I'll be honest. <laughs> Think about three wide. You process things in a way that a civilian like me could not possibly. But you have to really relax. And right. It's like when you go to get in the blocks for the race. If you're That's tight right. and stiff, you've got to relax. Go. So you the have to thing relax. Is letting the car kind of do its thing. The best day at Daytona ever. Yeah. <laughs> I put this up against anybody else. We welcome Otto into the conversation now. Welcome back. I know you just got back from calling the World Track and Field Championships in London with our very own Rick Allen. Uh, your first big NASCAR experience at Daytona. Otto, what are your impressions now of where you find yourself? Another iconic track in Bristol. Well, as you said, I just came back from the World Track and Field Championships. This track here in Bristol is about the same size. This looks like a track that humans run on. So, of course, my first experience being Daytona and then here seeing this, I'm like, this thing is tiny. But, I, you know, I, I expect that it's going to be very competitive. I don't know how anybody's going to pass here, but I'm told there isn't much passing. There's more uh, pushing than passing here. Well I think said. I'm, I'm impressed, Carolyn. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say that you mentioned how small it is. The term I've always been given is like fighter jets in a fishbowl. Yeah. That's what you're going to see here. And it's the best way to explain 
explain it because when you put up 40 race cars out there at 750 horsepower, we're trying just to control them, but there's not enough room to get away from each right. other. It's got a little similar to the ribbing you might have on the on the uh, running course there. Yeah, except in track and field, <laughs> we get our own lanes. That's true. Here, not so much. Yeah, we have to pick ours. Hold on a second. Did you call it a running course? Is that, is that, I, is yeah, that a thing? I went somewhere with it. <laughs> I had to separate it from racetrack. Otherwise, otherwise we'd be talking about that I one see, behind us. I see. So we're going to have uh, education going back and forth both ways. Otto's going to tell you a little bit more about track and field, and you can share your thoughts uh, on NASCAR. <laughs> I understand, Otto, that you're going to the Holler Parade. Is that something that you're very much looking forward yes, to? What can we What can we expect from you there? Yes, I am. I'll be with the uh, 78 team, the Furniture Row team, and I'm looking forward to it because, again, I want to learn everything about the sport. So I know for you, a lot of you guys, this is old hat and you do it every year. For me, I've never been around this many trucks. Um, I've never been around the process of how they get in and out of those spaces. So, yes, looking very much forward to that this evening uh, with number 78 team. And, Carolyn, they're actually – they park right behind us. Right. Auto. And what, you, what I was trying to explain to him a little bit earlier is that when the trucks come into this racetrack, they also have to navigate the over 30-degree banking when you come in. I want to see that. It's scary. I think you can feel like you're falling over in one of those things. Yeah, I, I definitely want to see that. <laughs> you know, something I was thinking about, Otto, you just saw how Usain Bolt's career came to an end recently. He did not yeah. have the ending that he maybe had in mind. We now in NASCAR are watching the end of Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s full-time cup career come to an end. So two iconic figures that really transcend their sport. Are there similarities there with athletes who are larger than life uh, saying goodbye for the final time to a fan base that just absolutely loves them? Yeah, I think there are a lot of similarities. And I mean, I think a lot of people would love to have seen Junior be having a better year in this, his final season. And it's the same thing that happened in London. Everybody, I mean, that place was sold out 60,000 people because we wanted to see how Usain Bolt would go out. And the fans were hoping that he would go out with a win. And not only did he not win in the 100 where he got bronze, but then in the relay, it was the worst possible ending him. And here it is. This is him getting the baton. You think, okay, he's going to have to catch people. And then, you know, he just released it today on his Twitter. His, his, his hamstring is almost completely torn. So he's never been injured in a major championship before. And now in the very last race he'll ever run, an injury like that. So that was a lot of the fans. I mean, I saw some Jamaican fans, a lot of tears in their eyes. Um, and, and just in general, Usain Bolt fans were very, very, um, you know, upset to see that this is how the greatest sprinter ever sort of wrote his final chapter. And that injury kind of reminds me of Dale at Daytona this year where you were with us, blowing right. that right front tire, getting in the wall, ending his day at a place that he's been so successful. I mean, when you see these right. iconic superstars not quite have that ceremonious end, I mean, it's, it's a little bit heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. The only difference is that Bolt's tire was his left yeah. and Dale Earnhardt's was the right. But yeah, it's a left hamstring. Touche. Touche. I love it. I love it. Uh, all right. So, Otto, we know you're going to be hanging out with the hauler drivers. They're bringing the cars and the equipment to the track. Those are among the many unsung heroes that really make this sport what it is. And a lot of the people that follow the sport should know that every week we honor some of those unsung heroes. We call them the pit crew all-stars. There are over 700 people in the garage area on any given race day. This isn't just the best in the garage. It's deeper than that. So many great stories of perseverance of people that have overcome adversity. Diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at age 3. They overcame a health scare with their new young daughter. The men and women in the garage area have been basically make this sport happen. Our all-star pit crew. 
And so with that, it's time to reveal this week's nominees for the NBC Pit Crew All-Stars. We're going to start with Richie Williams, a jackman for Chip Ganassi Racing. Before starting in NASCAR, he had a distinguished football career. He was the starting quarterback that led Appalachian State to a national championship back in 2005. Kevin Richardson was actually his teammate there. He was a running back, and he helped the Mountaineers win national titles in 2005, 2006, and 2007. Today, he is the front tire carrier for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And finally, we have Pat Cole from BK Racing. And Cole played baseball. He also worked in civil engineering. And then after being impacted by the recession, he went into NASCAR and he kind of quenched that desire to once again be a part of the team. So Richie Williams, Chip Ganassi Racing. And Pat Cole and also Kevin Richardson. Those are this week's nominees. And as you can see, uh, we're going to reveal this year's final team of Pit Crew All-Stars in November during championship weekend at Miami. You know, Otto, you train a lot of athletes, track and field. You train NFL athletes. What have you noticed specifically about just how athletic these Pit Crew members are? Well, I went to Charlotte to, uh, to visit with the Joe Gibbs team, and I walked into where they train, and I just went, this is very similar to how Olympic athletes train. And I think that, you know, being a, a novice and, and seeing this for the very first time, that just astounded me. I knew that pit crews had to be in some kind of shape. Obviously, their job is very, very important to how uh, a driver finishes. But to go in there and see those guys doing not not similar things, they're doing the exact same thing as a sprinter would do or some distance runners would do or a thrower would do. Um, that was just surprising to me. And I just, I sat in that gym and I said, you know what? At the end of the day, you have to be an athlete. And all athletes, especially in this day and age where we have so much knowledge, everybody is doing the same thing because in this sport, like in Olympic sports, fractions of a second count for everything. And you mentioned them, how athletic they have to be, how physical it is. But one thing always struck me about pit crews, guys, and especially pit stops, is that they have to be absolutely perfect for a short burst of time, right? And they get so few opportunities to do it. And I don't think there's many things in sports where you can relate to that, where just for every time they do their athletic thing, they have to be absolutely perfect for a very short amount of time. And then a lot of time just to rest and sit there. Yeah, and that's a lot like what I used to do for a living, sprinting. You have these, you know, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. Yep. But when that gun goes off or when that car pulls into the pit, you better be on your game. Otherwise, you're not going to have a very good day. And does it take something special mentally to do that? <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like to, to know that you got to nail it right then and there? It does. A lot of type A personalities on those uh, on those pit crews. No question about that. <laughs> of course. Listen, we cannot wait to see what you are going to do this weekend. Do me a favor, Otto. Do not blow a tire, okay? We need your hammies. We need all of you. I will not. Okay? Just be careful at the parade tonight. We can't wait to see you this weekend. Thank you very much, Carolyn. Absolutely. We'll see you soon. All right, coming up, uh, three chances left for Joey Logano and the other playoff bubble drivers. Can any of them score a win on Saturday night and earn a trip to the playoffs? That is the question. That's the debate when NASCAR America comes back. Well, last night on Jay Leno's Garage, Jay paid tribute to fathers and the cars they drove, hanging out with a very famous father and son team that we know well, Richard and Kyle Petty. How cool is this? Father and son, Superbird and Mellow Yellow on the same track together. Dreams really do come true. Well, at least mine do.
love those two. The King won three times at Bristol, but none made our top five moments there. Parker number five, Spring 2002, Kurt Busch and Jimmy Spencer battling. Yeah, he moved out of the way, a little bump and run, and then a slam in the door. Gets by him and goes on to win. This would start a bit of a rivalry between these two that would not end kindly. Slugger, that same year in August, another rivalry. Jeff Gordon putting the bumper run on Rusty Wallace with two to go. It was a heck of a move. The crowd was going crazy, but that's typical Bristol. The driver won't get out of your way. You give him the bumper and move him out of your way. <laughs> We've seen it happen a time or two. Number three, spring of 1990, wild final lap, ending in a photo finish for Davey Allison and Mark Martin Parker. Well, one of the closest finishes ever at Bristol. Awesome move by Mark Martin and Davey Allison to come down to the line here side by side. And that, funny enough, was when it was still asphalt as it now is concrete. Allison will win by eight inches in Slugger 95. Your moment here. Dale well, Earnhardt versus Terry Labonte part one. Yeah, what a great what a great night that was. You know, Terry Labonte sees lap track lap traffic out the front. That black number three out the back window hits him in the left rear, puts us in the fence. We didn't know if we were going to, supposed to go to Victor Lane or go fight Carolyn. What a night it was. <laughs> Part two would come four years later. This time, Earnhardt spins Labonte in turn two on the final lap and goes on to the victory, Parker. This is probably the most famous Bristol moment of all time. He goes in there, spins him out, and goes on to win. And this would start the, well, there was a bunch of wrecking behind them. This would get to one of the most infamous quotes ever said by Darren Hart in this sport and something none of us will ever forget. Didn't mean to really turn around, meant to rattle his cage over. He never has an intention of taking anybody out. It just happens that way. <laughs> we love those moments. And two-time Bristol Cup Series winner Joey Logano and his wife Brittany are in a different place right now in their lives outside of the track. They're expecting their first child, a son, in January. As you'll see now, though, Logano's road to parenthood, not an easy one. And our Chris Devota recently sat down with the couple for an in-depth interview. Were you able to, or were you ever able to, like, okay, I'm just going to kind of let this go. And she think, you know, we might not have kids, and that's okay. We're fighters. I thought, we're going we're gonna to have a kid. And you know what? I thought, even if it's not going to happen the way that we want it to, I'm fine adopting. He's fine adopting, because there's so many kids out there without homes. At what point was there a time where you're like, this, this is just too much? We were supposed to have the embryo transfer, and... You know, we were all excited, like, okay, we got embryos, we're, we're on to the next step. Yeah. And then they say you have these polyps and you know, they have to be removed. They had already kind of given me all the hormones and made my body ready for it. And then we both sat in the office and she's like, well, it's just not going to happen this time. You know? And at that moment, it feels like the end of the world, you know? But it's not. So that was just a small piece of their story. You can see Chris's entire interview with the Loganos during our pre-race coverage on NASCAR America this Saturday. On the track, it has become clear that Joey Logano really needs to win one of the three remaining races in the regular season to make the playoff slugger. I wonder how possible is that this weekend based on what you've seen and also given Logano's past success on this type of track? Well, you know, Penske Racing, they had some speed last week in Michigan. That doesn't come easy. Hard work and dedication to getting better. Joey Logano at Bristol, two wins in the last six races and five top tens. I mean, that is a good record, but that doesn't matter. You're going to Bristol now, night race. we got traction compound that's going to be applied. It's going to wear off. Your car is going to be adjustable. The team can't make any mistakes. They're 98 points out of the playoff bubble. They have to win. Bristol is definitely a good shot for this team. Parker, what do you think? Well, I have to agree with Slugger. I believe that this is definitely a must-win. He has a great record at Bristol, but this isn't going to be an entirely different 
Bristol than he's been used to. But I know we've done this traction compound a couple times, but this has been entirely different. The way they're setting it, how much they're using is completely different. And one thing that I kind of look at is the lack of maybe confidence coming out of that 22 team right now. It just doesn't seem like the confidence is there to go out and get that win. And this is a racetrack that rewards confidence. And especially when you have as many variables and uncertainty that they're going into this weekend, because as this track changes, the driver's going to have to be confident in knowing where that grip goes. The crew chief has to be confident in the feedback he's getting from his driver, Joe Logano, and that being Todd Gordon, to go out there and make the right changes as the track changes. And I think all those things just make me feel like, although they're in a must-win position and they have such a great record here, I don't have a lot of confidence that they have the confidence themselves to go out there and get to win. And he spoke with us after Michigan, and it certainly seemed uh, like he was feeling a little down and out. We'll see what happens this weekend. In the meantime, we are going to talk with one of the country's top motorcycle riders when we come back. American Flat Track star Shayna Texter is on the verge of doing something that has never been done before. She's going to tell us about it next. Well, the Verizon IndyCar Series is right here on NBCSN. And with four races left, IndyCar's best facing three tough turns, one very big challenge at the Tricky Triangle. That's the Pocono IndyCar 500. And it is Sunday at 2.30 Eastern right here on NBCSN. And that is just part of a busy few days of programming here on your home for motorsports. NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour action following us. We'll have Grudge Race tonight, which is always good. Lots of NASCAR and IndyCar throughout the weekend, of course. And tonight at 10 p.m., it's American Flat Track. And we welcome in Shayna Texter now, who currently leads the American Flat Track standings in the singles division to go along with four victories this season. There are two divisions in your sport. For those who may think of motorcycles as motocross, or maybe they think Harley's on the highway, you're very different. How would you describe what it is that you do? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very simple. We're basically racing motorcycles on dirt. Um, in ovals, very similar to NASCAR, except we have no roll cages and uh, we're handlebar to handlebar. And the speeds, what kind of speeds are you guys hitting? Uh, on the singles, we're up to 110 to 120, and on the twins, we're up to 130, 140. What originally attracted you to this? Uh, I was born into it. Uh, my grandfather, he actually raced cars, and my father raced motorcycles. And um, so it's in my blood racing, and I chose the motorcycle path following in my dad's footsteps. And uh, he was a professional road racer and dirt tracker, so... Um, just started going at it right from three years old. So you're doing phenomenally well in the singles division, and your brother Corey is racing in the twins, and your boyfriend as well races in the twins. How many times have you all interacted, gone head-to-head? -head? Yeah, a lot, actually. Um, I won my first national. I beat my boyfriend. He finished second. <laughs> and um, so I, I've competed a bunch with him and my brother also. Um, there's been times where we're actually all three battling for last transfer when I was racing the twins series. So... Now that I'm back racing singles, it's a little bit easier uh, for me because I don't actually have to go up against them. It's no secret that you're a woman in a sport dominated by men. How has the success that you have had in this division affected your life? Um, you know, on the motorcycle, it hasn't changed at all. I'm still a motorcycle racer, but uh, when I am come off the track, you know, the women, all the fans, the younger girls that come up and say you're an inspiration, that's where it's most been noticed. On the track, are you given any kind of leeway, any breaks? Are you are you maybe even 
targeted for, you know, being a woman in a sport that features mostly men? Uh, absolutely not. I'm treated just like a racer. You know, these guys, they'll uh, rub bars with me and put me into the wall just like they will anyone else. You know, we're all out there to win the race. And, uh, you know, right now it's been even tougher just because I am leading the championship. I got that target on my back. What do you hope your plans for the future will be in the sport, growing your fan base, maybe even going back and forth between the divisions if that's what the future holds? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, right now my short-term goal is to go out and win this championship. I'd become the first female to actually win in motorcycle racing uh, as a female. So to do that, it would be incredible. And, um, you know, I look forward to just getting more wins and, and help growing American Flat Track and, and showing these women that they can go out and ride a motorcycle just as bad as I can. And you think a NASCAR fan would get what out of watching this particular type of racing? Uh, I think they would get that same thrill, adrenaline, but at a much quicker pace. You know, we're out there riding motorcycles. Our main events are 25 laps um, in the twin cylinder class and 15 in the single. So it's a quick race, you know, and uh, our lap times are anywhere from 10 seconds to 30 seconds or even less. So it's a quick pace motorcycle race that happens, you know, in a blink of an eye, a million things. And, uh, you know, we're out there bumping into each other, banging, and, um, you know, we got a different level of trust than you can in a car. And this is something you've always wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a little crazy to me, but it's something you've always wanted to do. Yes, it, I've just, you know, I've been riding since I was three years old, and uh, I actually gave up playing soccer to continue motorcycle racing, and, um, you know, I, I have no regrets. We wish you the best of luck. And um, for the rest of the season and also kind of in your mission to really set the tone for a new generation of women to participate. Thank you. And again, if you want to see Shayna in action, our coverage of American Flat Track is tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern. That's right here on NBCSN. But up next, we are going back to Bristol. Door-to-door -door racing is just one of the many things to look forward to this weekend. We're going to highlight some of the other things to watch out for at the world's fastest half mile. NASCAR America is brought to you by new Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for one full year. And the Bristol weekend continues tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern with cup practice on the NBC Sports app. And that leads up to Xfinity Series racing on NBCSN at 7 Eastern. And then on Sunday, it's the Monster Energy Series racing at 7 Eastern over on NBC with pre- and post-race coverage right here on NBCSN. Well, this will be Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s last visit to Bristol as a full-time driver, and it was back in 2004 after winning the Cup Series race that an exhausted junior innocently uttered what would become a very famous phrase. Man, this is one of the biggest wins in my career. Why is that? It's Bristol, baby! It's Bristol, baby, and those words will live at Bristol forever as a monument bearing them was dedicated to him today. That is one of two initiatives happening for Junior today. Bristol Motor Speedway has also announced the creation of an automotive scholarship in his name. So we've created the Dale Junior Scholarship um, for a Sullivan County, Tennessee student that wants to go in the automotive industry and uh, we'll be awarding that annually in a way to honor you and, and help a student, you know, get a leg up. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about, man. That's awesome. And the winner of the Dale Earnhardt Jr. Scholarship is going to be announced next year. Meantime, we have some breaking news here on NASCAR America. Brad Keselowski Racing announcing that it will end operations following the 2017 Truck Series season. 
BKR fields a pair of teams in the truck series with drivers Chase Briscoe and Austin Sindrick. And Briscoe is currently sixth in the truck series playoff standings. Mark, I'll start with you on this. Your quick reaction to this news. Well, having been a part of the start of Brad Keselowski Racing, I'm very saddened to hear this. Actually, uh, Brad and I did our first truck race together at BKR at Texas in 2010, and then we went full-time in 2011 and into 2012 and saw that race team grow from just a couple guys to the force that it is now. Uh, and I think, you know, for all that Brad has put in that series, what his family has put in that series, it is, you know, it meant a lot to him to give back and give young drivers opportunities and also to give uh, mechanics and crew chiefs and engineers opportunities at that level and I, I'm just saddened to hear that happen but I'm not entirely surprised I think you know when you look at where the truck series is going in the next couple of years there's a lot of changes happening and I think for the model that Brad Keselowski Racing had built it might not be correct for them but uh, you know as I said I think it's just it's a team that's been very successful uh, and it's sad to see it go this way. Parker uh, Parker excuse me Slugger what do you think the impact Slugger is going to be on the series with this news? Well, it's definitely a huge hit for the series, but, you know, the good thing is, is Brad Keselowski and all his management have decided to make this decision now and get it out so all the crew members can go find jobs. If you remember back to Pocono when Ryan Blaney won the race, a lot of those pit crew members came from Brad Keselowski Racing. So, like Parker said, Brad Keselowski Racing has kept a lot of people in jobs uh, for a long time, and obviously, you know, all good things must come to an end sometimes, and unfortunately, uh, some people will take the hit, but obviously they got time now to go look and find employment for the, for themselves. A tough day for sure, but the sport will move on. Slugger, as we wrap up our final thoughts here on Bristol, where do you see this track being the most challenging? I see it on pit road, Carolyn. You know, under yellow, every team must enter pit road if they choose to on the backstretch, off of turn two, and they have to run 30 miles an hour down the straightaways of the pit road and through the corners. They have to pick up about 800 RPM because of the radius of the corners. A lot of teams get in trouble at Bristol, speeding on pit road. It's very easy to be aggressive running 30 miles an hour, but when you approach the corners, you have to speed up a little bit to match the radius of the RPM. So it definitely is a tough time for teams on pit road, but also drivers. We've seen a lot of drivers get penalized at Bristol. Really easy to do. All right, that's all we have for now. We will see who the bigger winner is. There are certainly a lot of veterans and some rookies that would like to get that win as we head closer and closer to the playoffs. In the meantime, log on to NBCSports.com slash NASCAR for the very latest news. Very big day tomorrow, Cup and Xfinity qualifying, and then the Xfinity race tomorrow night. Enjoy the entire weekend. It's Bristol, baby. We'll see you there. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.